0: we turn our attention to Numbers chapter 29 today, I want us to spend some time in prayer. I know there's a lot going on. I know there's a lot of things that we're hearing. And it looks like last year was just wasted. It looks like we're right back in the same situation all over again. It it looks like, you know, why have we stayed at home for a year and this thing's still here? Well, it's not that way in all of our nation, all right? A lot of the provinces are doing very, very well right now. A lot of our provinces, there's no lockdown. There's no COVID-19. You know, welcome to being the big city, the crowded environment of the big city. Things spread in a situation like this. But God is with you. Amen. God is with you. He will never fail you. He will never forsake you. He will never leave you. Father, I bring to you your sons and daughters this morning. Father, in one sense it is discouraging. But Lord, our, our encouragement doesn't come from what we see in this world. You are the God of eternal encouragement. You are the lifter of our heads. And we turn to you today. Father, I ask for all of my brothers and sisters today lift their heads Lift the heads of the young people who look around and just think, oh, how much longer do we have to stay home and study? Lift the heads of the fathers and mothers that have worked so hard all this year to, just to put food on the table. Lift the heads of all of the businessmen, Lord, that have just tried to hold on and survive. Lift the heads of all of the workers in the hospitals and the frontliners, Lord. Instead of getting a rest and things beginning to get easier and we saw that light at the end of the tunnel and lord all of a sudden it went away father lift their heads father for all of the pastors across the country who thought they were just now coming to an end and they could begin to have real services again and begin to begin to work toward the gospel again father lift their heads lord we come to you you are the lifter of our heads lift our heads Put your encouragement to the hearts of your sons and your daughters today. And Father, let healing flow. I pray for every family, Lord, that's been diagnosed COVID positive. Let the power of that thing just be broken, Father, with not even any symptoms coming out. But Father, instead, health and strength and life flowing into their bodies. Father, let lungs stay clear and let kidneys function well. Let there be no irritation in their veins and their arteries and no, no blood clots flowing around causing strokes. Father, in the name of Jesus, let healing flow. I pray for all of our people that are in the hospital right now, Lord. They've got those tubes sticking out of their necks, trying to get the infection out of their lungs. Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, just walk into those hospital rooms. They're, they're sitting there in isolation all alone. Lord, come into that hospital room and visit them. Make your presence real to them. Make your love real to them. Just step in, Father, and bring healing and life. Let the power of that disease be broken, Lord. And from this moment, let recovery begin. Lord, we can't lay hands on them, but you can. Just walk into those rooms, Lord, and let everything become different. Let healing begin to flow and strength begin to flow. Father, I pray for the businessmen. As they settle in again, Father, for this thing not being over yet. Father, I ask in Jesus' name, in the name of Jesus, give them wisdom. Show them the path through this. Lord, you promised in your word that you'd lead us in straight paths. Lead them in straight paths. There's no room for mistakes, Lord. There's no room for for going in wrong directions. We need straight. We need the most efficient path. Lead your people in straight paths in every decision that they need to make. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's open up our hearts to Numbers chapter 29. Numbers chapter 29 today, beginning with verse... On the 15th day of the seventh month, you shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, here's that concept of ordinary work again. In other words, there are times that you have to do some special work, even on holy convocations and Shabbat. And you shall keep a feast of the Lord seven days, and you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Thirteen bulls from the herds, two rams, fourteen male lambs, a year old. They shall be without blemish. And their grain offering of the fine flour mixed with oil, three-tenths of an effeth for each of the thirteen bulls, two-tenths for each of the two rams, and a tenth for each of the fourteen lambs, and also one male goat for a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offerings, its grain offering and a drink offering. On the twelfth day, 12 bulls from the herds, 13 rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with a grain offering and drink offerings for the bulls, for the rams, and for the lambs in prescribed quantities. Also, one male goat for the sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering and its grain offering and their drink offerings. On the third day, 11 bulls, 2 rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with a grain offering and the drink offering for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs in the prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering, beside the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and its drink offering. On the fourth day, now notice, on the 15th day of the seventh month, okay, you start making these offerings. Then on the second day, on the third day, on the fourth day, now we're on the fifth day, Nine bulls. Now notice each day, twelve, eleven, ten, nine. Each day things change just a little bit. With a grain offering and drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, and prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering beside the regular burnt offering with its grain offering and its drink offering. On the sixth day, eight bulls, two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish with a grain offering and a drink offering for the bulls, for the rams, for the lambs, and prescribed quantities. Also, one male goat for a sin offering, beside the regular burnt offering, with its grain offering and its drink offering. Now so notice, each of these times, everything stays the same except the bulls. The, the male lambs stay the same, the two rams stay the same, the male goat stays the same, but each day we have a difference in the seventh day, seven bulls. Each day the bulls are reduced. Two rams, 14 male lambs, a year old without blemish, with a grain offering and a drink offering for the bulls, for the rams and for the lambs in prescribed quantities. Also one male goat for a sin offering. Besides the regular burnt offering, its grain offering and its drink offering. On the eighth day, you shall have a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. And you shall offer a burnt offering, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. 1 bull, 1 ram, 7 male lambs, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering and a drink offering for the bull, for the ram and for the lambs in prescribed quantities. Also 1 male goat for a sin offering, besides the regular burnt offering with its grain offerings and its drink offerings. These you shall offer to your Lord at your appointed feasts, in addition to your vow offerings, your free will offerings, for your burnt offerings and for your grain offerings, and for your drink offerings and for your peace offerings. Moses told the people of Israel everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So I got a question mark. And one day I'll have an answer. Why do we have, we start with 13. Then we move to 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, and then we go down to 1. Why are all of the other offerings the same except the bulls? Why the reduction in the bulls? Now, that's a question I've never had before, but I always like to teach you. You learn by asking questions. Chapter 30, verse 1. Moses spoke to the heads of the tribes of the people of Israel, saying, This is what the Lord has commanded. If a man vows a vow to the Lord, or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. All right, so when you make a vow to the Lord, you keep your word. This is a relationship promise. Just like when God makes promises, you want God to keep his promises. Well, when you make a promise to the Lord, God wants you to keep your promises. If a woman vows to the Lord and binds herself by a pledge while within her father's house in her youth. All right. So this is first a woman within her father's house in her youth. If her father hears her vow and of her pledge by which she has bound herself and says nothing to her. Then all her vows shall stand, and every pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if her father opposes her on the day that he hears of it, not two weeks later, the day that he hears of it, no vow of hers, no pledge by which she has bound herself shall stand. And the Lord will forgive her because her father has opposed her. So God said, all right, if you're not allowed to keep your promise by your father and you are still within your father's house and in your youth, so notice there's several things. There's a few conditions here. She's within the father's house and she's in her youth. Then God says, I won't hold you to that because your father is your authority in your life. If she marries a husband while under her vows or any thoughtless utterance, utterance of her lips by which she has bound herself and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears it, not three weeks later, then her vow shall stand and her pledges by which she has bound herself shall stand. But if on the day that her husband comes to hear of it, he opposes her. Then he makes void her vow that was on her and the thoughtless utterance of her lips by which she bound herself. And the Lord will forgive her because she's under the authority of her husband. But if any vow of a widow or a divorced woman, anything by which she has bound herself, shall stand against her because she is the singular authority in her life. But if she vowed in her husband's house or bound herself by a pledge with an oath and her husband hears of it and said nothing to her and did not oppose her, then all her vows shall stand and every pledge by which she bound herself shall stand. But if her husband makes them null and void on the day that he hears it, again, not two weeks later, not the next time they have an argument, then whatever proceeds out of her lips concerning her vows or concerning her pledge of herself shall not stand. Her husband has made them void, and the Lord will forgive her. Any vow and any binding oath to afflict herself, And that just means to deny this. This is not referring to bodily harm. This is just to deny yourself. Her husband may establish or her husband may make void. Like if a woman vows that she's going to fast for the next 10 days and her husband comes along and says, no, you're not. Then it's made void. The Lord will forgive. But if her husband says nothing to her from day to day, then he establishes all her vows or all her pledges that are upon her. He has established them because he said nothing to her on the day that he heard of them. But if he makes them null and void after he has heard of them, then he shall bear her iniquity. All right, now here's an important note. If he stops her three weeks later, okay, she is still not held accountable for that. He is. Because he didn't stop her as soon as he heard of it. If he stopped the vow as soon as he heard of it, she's released. But if he lets it go and then stops it later, she is okay, but he he shall bear the iniquity. These are the statutes that the Lord commanded Moses about a man and his wife, about a father and his daughter, while she is in her youth within her father's house. Notice the time condition. The time condition. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. Oh, here testament passage today picks up in luke chapter 4 beginning with verse 14 a beautiful powerful passage as jesus returned in the power of the spirit to galilee and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country and he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all this is the season of popularity Now, he also went through a season of complete unpopularity, all right? He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, all right? So we can call this his hometown. He's born in Bethlehem, but this this is where he was raised. This is where he learned family values. Now, this was a a small village. Um, If this is the Sea of Galilee, the River Jordan, Jerusalem would be up around here. Nazareth we're looking at is right about up in here. All right. So it's 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 Zephori would be the, the big city next to it. And that's where Herod. This is Herod's throne. This was a big Roman city. Tiberius would be down here along the, the coast of the Sea of Galilee. This is the S of G. And, you know, I can't draw just like I cannot write. Say, oh, pastor, put it up so we can see. Well, now you can see I can't draw. Okay. He came to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom. All right. So this is Jesus's pattern of life. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. That would be Saturday. Okay. Shabbat begins at sundown on Friday and then ends on sundown on Saturday. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. And he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. So notice he looked. He looked for a passage. And then he begins to quote this passage from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because... He has anointed me to, number one, proclaim good news to the poor. Number two, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Number three, he has sent me to proclaim the recovery of sight to the blinds. Number four, he has sent me to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And number five, he has sent me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now notice, the five purposes of the anointing of Jesus. Now, if you will go on there in Isaiah, the very next passage begins judgment. But Jesus didn't come to the world to condemn the world. He says that. He didn't come to bring judgment and destruction. He came to bring a message of grace. See, this this whole thing that we are living in right now, It is an interruption. It's an interruption in Daniel's 70 prophetic weeks, in between the 69th and the 70th week. We are living in this period right now called the age of grace. Sometimes called the church age, but I call it the age of grace. Now, Jesus interrupts that passage there in Isaiah to say, hey, I want you to understand the purpose of the anointing is not destruction. The purpose of the anointing is to preach good news to the poor. Proclaim liberty to the captives. Setting people free from sin. Recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the season of favor. This is why Paul says we have not been appointed under wrath. Now, beloved... When we call ourselves Christian, okay, Christian, it literally means anointed one like. Like the anointed one. Now, if we are a Christian, this is what we are anointed to do. Did Jesus go around and say, I'm here to destroy the synagogues? No. No. Did he go around saying, I'm here to destroy everything you people have built? No. He didn't come to tear down and destroy. He, he came. His anointing was for these five purposes. The only thing he came to destroy was the works of the devil. Ah. So look at the anointing. and when, when people begin to talk about anointing of preaching judgment and anointing of preaching wrath, please forgive me, brothers and sisters. That's not like the anointed one. That's not like Jesus. Okay? And that is the anointing that we live in today. We, we don't live in, a, in an anointing of of f- forgive me, the prophet Jeremiah. We, we don't live in that anointing. We live in the anointing of Jesus. This we are like the anointed one. We are not called David's. We're not called uh Jeremiah's or Davidans, were called Christians, like the anointed one. We're not like David. We're not like Jeremiah. Forgive me, we're not Mosesans. We're not like Moses. We're like Christ. We're like the anointed one. And if we're going to claim to walk in the anointing, then we are anointed to do these five things. And part of our preaching is to proclaim the year of the lord's favor part of our preaching is to set up liberty those who are oppressed oppressed by sin oppressed by sickness oppressed by poverty poverty is the ruin of the poor proverb says we're, we're to help with the recovery of sight to the blind not only praying for physical blindness but but spiritual blindness we are to proclaim liberty to the captives people who are bound in sin we're to proclaim claim good news to the poor This this is what we are anointed to do. And, you know, I know I'm preaching this rather than devotionalizing it, but you need to sit there and just look at this and go, this is who we are supposed to be as a church today. Christian like the anointed one. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down because that's how they spoke in those days. They did not speak standing up. They spoke sitting down in what was called Moses's chair. And all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, all these eyes. We're talking maybe eh, 50, 40 to 50 people. Maybe. See, Nazareth was only around 90 to 100 people in the whole city in Jesus' day. Only the men would be sitting there in the synagogue. So we're not dealing with a big crowd of people. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Wow. <laughs> and all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Now notice the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Not, not words of hell, fire and brimstone, not words of judgment, not words of tearing everybody else down. Gracious words that were coming from his mouth. You know, I, I get so weary with people going. You know, false prophets only speak nice things. Well, you know, <laughs> excuse me. When I look at false prophets in the New Testament, they weren't saying nice things. They they were, they were speaking ugly things. Okay. Gracious words came out of Jesus's mouth, and I promise you, he was not a false prophet. And they said, "Is this not Joseph's son?" All right, so they. They evaluated him based on physical relationships. Now, here's their problem. They saw him in the physical realm, but they didn't see him as who he really was. He said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown is all. Because oh, he'd done a lot of miracles down at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. He said, you know what? Capernaum's not my hometown. This is my hometown. You're all looking at me. You're all looking at me like this. You're all seeing me as the little boy who used to fall down and skin his knee. You're all looking at me as the little boy who got chased by the chicken or got chased by the duck. You're all looking at me as a little boy who grow up, you know, learning how to be a carpenter with Joseph. You only see me for what I was, for not who I'm becoming. Now, this is one of the greatest challenges and straight up talk now. This is one of the greatest challenges we have for the young pastors and pastoras rising up within our church. This is why most churches hire pastors and they don't grow pastors. Because at some point, you have to learn to see these young men and women different than who they were when they made all the screw-ups that they made as children. Do you remember when we were kids, all the messes and the screw-ups we made? But look what God has done in our lives. You never saw me wrecking cars. (laughs) You never saw me... Crashing motorcycles. (laughs) You never saw me walking around smoking cigarettes and drinking. You never saw me doing all the stupid stuff I did when I was a kid. You didn't see me growing up. You just only knew me after I was saved and God's hand was upon my life. So you don't look at me as, is this not Joseph's son? This is why sometimes we, I look at, and you wonder, why do I treat the, the pastor's kids in the church kind of special? Because growing up as a PK, preacher's kid, is really hard, especially if God's hand is upon their life. And I'm not just talking about Pastora A now, I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about Jerwill. You know, I'm talking about these young men and young women that have grown up. The Garcia's children, the, the Dulles Reyes kids, the Urag's children. God's hand is upon their life. And sometimes all you remember is, I was their Sunday school teacher when they used to draw the wrong thing. And all you do is see them based on their past and not based on who they have become in God. Who they have become in God. I remember the first time in my grandpa's little church in Baymanet, Alabama, when God used me in one of the gifts of the Spirit. And everybody just turned and looked at me. Because they knew Pastor Sumrall's grandson was not a good boy. They remembered all the cigarettes and the smoke, and they remember all the mess that I was. But now they're looking at me like, whoa, whoa, because <laughs> I was not who I used to be. I was a different man now because the Spirit had come upon my life. These young men and young women, now, and let me just straight talk, folks. Some of these young men and young women, you've watched them grow up, and you've watched their mistakes and their screw-ups and being kids just like all of us were once too. Now, you have to see who they are and who they are becoming in god now that the now that the holy spirit is upon them <laughs> there's no telling what this next generation of young people are going to do he said but i tell you the truth there were many widows in israel in the days of elijah when the heavens were shut up for 3 years and 6 months and great famine came over all the land No rain for three years and six months in Israel. That would be rough. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Now, I want you to notice, we've gone from all spoke well of him to all filled with wrath. The fickleness of man's heart. It's amazing. They all spoke well of him. They all marveled at his gracious words. And now they are all filled with wrath. Ha, <laughs> And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built. This is called Mount Precipice. We go there, or at least we drive by it. Sometimes we just drive by it if we've taken too much time already in Nazareth. Sometimes we actually go and walk all the way up to it. It's quite nice. It's a little chilly up there because the wind really blows, but it's quite nice. you got to be in pretty good shape to walk up there so that they could throw him down the cliff. Now notice, they wanted to kill Jesus. They were so mad, they wanted to kill someone that just a little while before, they spoke well of and marveled at his gracious words. They were willing to kill somebody that they had known for a lifetime. Over 30 years, they had known this boy. But passing through their midst, he went his way. And he went down to Capernaum, a city in Galilee, and was teaching them on Shabbat. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. Now that means the right to teach. That's what authority means, the right to do something. He didn't teach like talking heads. He didn't talk teach like, you know, the, the rulers of the synagogues and the rabbis that they were used to. He taught like someone who had the right to teach. He was, because he was anointed. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and he was a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He had the right. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, so we have demons in the synagogue. And you know, sometimes you have demons come to church. ha, 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 ha. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out in a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So demons knew, but um, people did not. Isn't that amazing? Demons knew who Jesus was, but the people did not. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. All right, so Jesus did not hold conversations with demons. And then go write a book about it. Oh, my conversations with demons. Why would you want to listen to a demon? They're liars. Everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie. So why speak with them? And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed. Now, all this is happening in the synagogue in Capernaum. This is like, okay, we had a service in the synagogue like we haven't seen before. We had this guest rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth. And you know... Ah, um, yeah, it was a great sermon. I mean, I've never heard anybody teach like that. And, you know, he cast out a demon right there in the synagogue, right in the middle of us. You can imagine them going home and telling their wives about all that in the synagogue that morning. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power. So authority is the right to. Power is the ability to. For with the right and the ability, he commands unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. So testimonies. (laughs) Can can you imagine? Now, when you go with us to Israel, we'll put you in the synagogue. Now, this synagogue is quite a bit bigger than the one in Nazareth. All right. The one in Nazareth is quite small. This one is a pretty good-sized synagogue. Capernaum was a very prosperous city. Well, not really a city, but a prosperous village, okay? Uh, That's why the later the synagogue was rebuilt in white stone coming down from the mountains around Jerusalem and not just the black basalt that would have been there when Jesus preached. But the same foundations are there. It would have sat maybe, oh, 250, 300 men. So you're dealing with a much larger village, all right? And they had a sermon like they'd never heard before, and they saw demons cast out in front of their eyes. That was something to go home and talk about at lunch with your wife and your kids. All right. Now, let's turn to Proverbs for just a little bit of wisdom here before we go. Proverbs chapter 14, begin with verse 31. Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker. Never take advantage of the poor never take advantage and oppress here would mean to pressure never put pressure on a poor man that insults his maker who but he who is generous to the needy honors him do you want to honor god people walk around all the time saying our purpose in life is to honor god okay what are you doing to help the needy Are you feeding the poor? Are you putting clothes on the little children that have no clothes that are running around naked or running out tops and no bottoms and no shoes? He who is generous to the needy honors him. Do you want to honor God? Then bring something special down to aroma. I know it's difficult now and you'll have to talk with us about how to do it. But even when when this COVID thing lifts, every year for my birthday, I don't have a birthday party for everybody else. I don't have a big birthday party even for our family. But every year on my birthday, and I taught you how to do this, if we would have everybody doing this, it would be well-covered 365 days a year. But in addition to the normal food we give, on my birthday, I like to go down and take something special. Sometimes you bring Jolly Bee for all the kids. Sometimes you bring ice cream for all the kids. But you do something for the needy. He who is generous to the needy honors God. Ah. The wicked is overthrown through his evil doing, but the righteous finds refuge in his death. Now, I want you to notice you're overthrown. Sin destroys, but sin destroys the person who's doing it. Verse 33, wisdom rests in the heart of a man of understanding, but it makes itself known even in the midst of fools. All right, so wisdom reveals among fools, but wisdom rests, remains among those with understanding. You're a person of understanding. Wisdom is very comfortable and it just stays there with you. But with fools, you're going to find it makes an entrance, makes itself known, but it doesn't stay there. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to many people. A servant who deals wisely has the king's favor, but his wrath falls on one who acts shamefully. Now, notice this. A king rejoices in wise servants, but is angry with those who disgrace him. You know, there are people who just don't do their job. And when you don't do your job, okay, there's wrath. I taught you this last week. The, when you, the reason the guy with the one talent had a very different experience with the uh, the, the owner, then the guy with the five talents, than the two talents was, he said, I knew you to be a harsh and a wicked man. Why? Because he's a lazy guy. Lazy guy got all the wrath. He acted shamefully. A servant who deals wisely always has the king's favor. Do, do you want to have favor with the boss? You want to have favor with the owner of the company? Then do business wisely. Show some wisdom in how you conduct the affairs that you have been given responsibility for. All right. We're going to close out there today. We'll see you tonight at six o'clock as we pick up again in the book of Romans with, forgive me, what I call Paul's Proverbs.